Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all here. Uh, I want to ask you, are there people who you look at and think, man, they have exactly what I want. They're exactly who I want to be. They are living the good life. Do you have those people? Uh, I want to tell you about a guy called Charles who literally lived my dream. Uh, for most of my life, I wanted to play cricket for my country. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to have fame and sponsorship deals. And this guy, Charles, he did it. Now, he played cricket for England. We'll forgive him for that. Uh, but he was known as one of the very best to do it. He played in the first ever Ashes Test match between Australia and England. He went into bat with the game on the line and a chance to win. Uh, he won the Ashes the next year. And his name is actually written on the ashes, the trophy that if you ever see Pat Cummins holding it, his name is on it, right? He will be remembered forever. That's the dream. or That's my dream, at least. He had the good life. He was living it. Fame, recognition, success, cricket. Girls wanted to know him. Guys wanted to be him. He had it all. And yet, right in his prime, age 25, he gave it all up. He wasn't injured, he didn't have to, but he chose to leave it all behind. He retired from cricket, which shocked the public, and he moved to China, a place where he wouldn't be known, respected, or famous. He gave all his money away, and the little bit left that he kept, his wife told him to give that away, all so he could tell people about this guy, Jesus. Can you imagine getting everything you ever worked for, achieving your dream, living what you always thought was the good life, and then giving it up to become a nobody? Why would you do that? Why did Charles do it? It's because he met Jesus, and the answers he found changed his life, and it gave him life. See, the way we answer the big questions in life, it shapes how we live. Uh, the big questions are things like, who are we? Is there more than this life? What's the point of life? They're big questions. Uh, let me tell you how I think the average Aussie, if there's such a thing, might answer the big questions in life. Uh, who are we? Well, I reckon the average person in Maroubra would probably say, most people are basically good right? That's who we are. And so you don't need to be changed. You just need to be celebrated. We're pretty much good. Is there more than this life? Well, there's no way to really know. So live like this life is all there is. Which means, what's the point of life? It's to get the most out of this life you can, to be the most happy with whatever it is that brings you that happiness. Does that sound about right? Charles used to think that, and then he met Jesus, and he found answers that changed everything. It changed his life, and it gave him life. That's actually my story as well. I didn't achieve 1% of the things that Charles did, but I tried to, because I thought the answers to the big questions in life were the same as the average person in Maroubra, and then I met Jesus, and I found deeper and better answers that changed my life and gave me life. That's actually the story of everyone in this room who calls themselves a Christian. And actually, it's more than that. 
There are roughly two and a half billion Christians in the world right now. It's about a third of the population. People who've met Jesus and found deep and satisfying answers. And it's changed their life. It's given them life. You might be someone here tonight who's looking for answers. It's great to have you here. Tonight, I want to introduce you to Jesus so you can find them. Uh, But you might be here and you're not looking for answers. It's great to have you here as well. Maybe you're not looking for answers because you feel like you've already found them. So I'm just not looking. Or maybe it's because I just don't care. I don't think about the big questions in life. I just live. Can I ask you, how is that going for you? The things we tend to chase tend to not give us the happiness we want. Is that your experience? The famous actor Jim Carrey has this amazing quote. He says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Isn't that incredible? A guy who's got it all, millions and millions of dollars, it's not the answer, he says. Jesus offers profound answers that are deeper and better. And tonight we're going to eavesdrop on an encounter between a woman and Jesus a person who found answers. She found answers even though she wasn't even looking for them. And it changed her life and it gave her life. So I'm so glad you're here tonight. Uh, Want answers? Meet Jesus. Let's get stuck in. Point one, Jesus has answers about you. Uh, At the start of this encounter, Jesus is in Judea and he's on his way up to Galilee. In verse four it says, He had to pass through Samaria. You can see it on the map. And when he gets there, he sends his mates, the disciples, on a Macca's run. And so Jesus, while he's there, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about noon. See, Jesus didn't go on the Macca's run with his mates. He's kind of waiting by the well. It's not just because he was tired, I don't think, right? They all would have been tired. Uh, Jesus was in his early 30s. A lot of people say that's your physical peak as blokes. And so if you see any guys in their early 30s, no, that's as good as it's going to get. That's a huge worry for me. Uh, But that's okay. Jesus, he stayed at the well, not just because he's tired. It says he had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because he wanted to meet the woman who's about to turn up. He knew who was coming. Right from the start, we get this sense that Jesus knows things and has answers that are somehow beyond us. This meeting is prearranged, and yet only one of them knows about it. And verse 7, she turns up. Have a look. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus meets this woman, and when he does, we learn three things about her. Two of them are immediate and obvious, but the third one is an answer that Jesus impossibly knows, and it tells us something about ourselves. And all these three things are things that should be putting massive barriers between her and Jesus. Uh, The three things are, it's her gender, her race, and her past. First, her gender. Verse 27, uh, when the disciples come back from their Macca's run, they say, they, it says, they marveled that Jesus, he was talking with a woman. 
in Jewish thought at the time, it was said that for a rabbi, that means a teacher, that's what Jesus was, for a rabbi to talk with a woman was a waste of time. Gender prejudice was rife. Even, through the, even though the Old Testament is very clear, all people are valuable to God, born with dignity, no matter your gender, your race, your ability or disability. But in that culture, her gender would normally be a barrier for her to meet someone like Jesus. The second barrier is her race. She's a Samaritan. Uh, have a look at verse 9. The woman says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? a woman of Samaria. See, Jews and Samaritans were distant cousins, right? They had the same ancestors way back, but they're like relatives that broke away from the family and caused damage and hurt. See, at one time, they were all one family, called Israel, and there was a north part and a south part. The south part was the capital. That was where the king lived. It's where the power was. It's the place where God chose to put the temple, very special place. And the north got jealous, and so they chose to break up the family. They chose their own king, their own temple, their own capital. And in doing so, they disobeyed God, and they broke up the family in an ugly split. The Jews were descendants from the southern kingdom. The north became Samaria. And so in Jesus' day, Jews and Samaritans are like estranged cousins who hated each other. And this woman, she knows. She, she knows that being a woman being, and being a Samaritan places a massive barrier between her and Jesus. How can you talk to me? But those things are actually nothing compared to the last one. And it's this one which shows us that Jesus is a man who's got answers. That he's someone who has answers even about you. We'll come back to the whole interaction between Jesus and the woman at the moment, but have a look at verse 16 with me. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Jesus miraculously knows this woman's past before she ever tells him. Have you ever gone to a family get-together and there's some distant rello who starts talking to you about all the things that's going on in your life and they ask questions about weirdly specific things and you just go, how do you know that? How do you know that about me? And, and then the kind of wheels start to turn and you realise they probably stalk you just a little bit too much on social media. They probably talk to your parents just a little bit too much and a bit too invested in your life. And you think, it's strange, but they're just kind of weird and so it's kind of okay. This is not like that. Jesus doesn't have inside information that he's talked to the family about. No, Jesus knows her even when he has no reason to. He's got insight that no human should have. He miraculously knows about her five failed marriages and that the man she's with now is not her husband. And it's that last detail that tells us this isn't some series of tragic events. No, Jesus knows that this woman is someone who's gone from man to man and has not been faithful to her promises in marriage. 
And now every time she goes home and sleeps with this man, she sins. That's the implication. And Jesus knows. He knows her. He knows the answers about what she is really like at her core. He knows that she's an imperfect person with an imperfect past. She's a sinner. And not only Jesus knew it, she knew it. See, that's why she was at the well at midday by herself. See, in the Middle East, you don't go to the well in the middle of the day when it's ridiculously hot. Now, everyone goes to the well in the morning or in the evening when it's cooler, unless you can't go with everyone else because you're an outcast. She knew she was an outcast from society, and she actually knew that she was an outcast from God. But what she didn't know is that she's actually talking to God in the flesh. She thinks that Jesus has these answers about her, verse 19, because she thinks he's a prophet. But if we started not at John 4, but started at the the start of John, John 1, we'd know Jesus isn't a prophet. No, Jesus has answers about her life because he's God. He made her. He knows her. He knows everything about her. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the all-powerful and holy one. And her sin in the face of this God is a massive barrier. And the same is true of you. Jesus made you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He sees beneath the surface And when Jesus looks, he sees it all. He knows that you're not good, even to your own standards, let alone God's. The details will be different, but the verdict will be the same. None of us are morally pure. All of us are sinners in rebellion against the God who made us. The Bible summarizes it like this. It should come up on the screen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The truth is that we are sinners. That's the answer about our reality. That's who we are. The only question is whether you know it or whether you're deceiving yourself, thinking you're better than you are. Do you know that? Do you know that you're a sinner? That there's a huge barrier between you and God? Do you know that's a massive issue? Because God is the giver of life. And our sin, which outcasts us from Him, the only one who can give us true life. It's a massive problem. It's desperately important that we get this answer about ourselves. Why? Seems a bit mean, right? Why would Jesus bring this woman's past up and kind of throw it in her face? Why does it matter if Jesus gives us this bad news about ourselves? Well, without knowing and owning this truth, you can't take hold of the next one. It'll change your life and give you life if you do. See, it's like going into the surgeon. Uh, You can only deal with the issue and get it cut out if the doctor tells you and finds that there's an issue. 
You need to know the bad news so that you can get the wonderful solution. You might not like to hear it, but the only thing worse than being told you have a terrible disease is to have a terrible disease and not be told. And so you can't get the cure. We need to know the answer about ourselves, that we are imperfect people with an imperfect past. We're sinners. And Jesus, the ruler and judge of the world, he knows it. So what does Jesus do with this knowledge about you? Well, we see the answer in this interaction between Jesus and the woman, and the answer is incredible. It will change your life and give you life if you get it. So let's have a look at it. Point two, Jesus has answers about what matters most. Jesus knows these things and more about the woman, and so what does he do? Have a look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to drink water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus doesn't punish or lay into her. When a holy God comes into contact with a desperate sinner, it should be destructive. And yet Jesus approaches her. He gives her the answer to what she needs the most, and he tells her how she can get it. He tells her the right question to ask so she can get the answer she desperately needs. If you knew the gift of God and who I am, you should ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. Jesus says the most important answer to know is that he alone gives living water. And the most important question to ask is to ask him for a drink. Sounds kind of weird, right? What does that even mean? And and why is that the thing that matters? Why is that the answer that matters most that we need to know? Well, if you don't understand, you're in great company because this woman has no idea what he's talking about. Have a look at verse 11. She kind of says, you don't even have a bucket to reach into the well. How are you going to get this water? Who are you, Jesus? What are you saying about yourself? Are you saying that you're more famous than our great ancestor, Jacob, who built this well for us? Yes, Jesus says. Have a look, verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water that Jesus gives doesn't just meet physical needs, it meets spiritual needs, it meets our deepest needs, and it meets them so deeply that it ends your thirst and leads to eternal life. See, the water that Jesus offers, it answers our deepest need and our deepest longing. The water Jesus offers answers our deepest need and our deepest longing. First, it deals with our deepest need. It it deals with our sin. The truth about our sinful state means 
We don't have eternal life. At the end of this life, tomorrow, in 20 years' time, all we can expect is to experience the terrifying and completely just judgment of our sin. Eternal death, God's judgment, that is our sure and certain end. And it is awful. Our deepest need is for this to be dealt with. No other need comes even close, does it? And Jesus says, what he offers will deal with your sin and give you eternal life. It's astonishing. That's the thing that we need. That's the answer we need, isn't it? How? Well, Jesus has already told us it's only on offer through him, but we only see how he offers it at the end of his life. In what he says right before he dies. Have a look at John chapter 19, verse 28. This is just before Jesus died. He's hanging on the cross, held up by stakes driven through his arms and legs, suffocating from the inside, about to die. This is what he says, John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. As he dies an agonizing death, he chooses some of his last words to be, I thirst. Not, this is agony. Not, I'm innocent. Why are you doing this? I thirst. Why? He's saying that he thirsted so that we don't have to. See, water is the symbol of life, right? You need water to live. As sin is under God's judgment, it's like we're in perpetual thirst. We're filled to the brim with death. Life is beyond us. But Jesus died. The only one who didn't deserve it, he experienced God's judgment in death so that those who are thirsty can have life forever, can have a spring of water within them welling up to eternal life. He experienced the death that belongs to us so we can have eternal life which belongs to Him. It's incredible. Jesus meets our deepest need at the cross. All our sin, past, present and future, dealt with fully, completely, forever. And eternal life given as a gift This is the answer we desperately need. Eternal life is on offer to you in Jesus. And the amazing thing is that this eternal life, it's not just more existence. Did you know that? It's not just dull life that goes on and doesn't end. No, part two, it's life that meets our deepest longing. See, when Jesus says, if you drink this water, you'll just get thirsty again, that's true about physical water. But it's also true about all of the wants and needs of our life. We're all trying to live the good life, right? Looking for the the thing that satisfies us deeply, the thing that will quench our deep, deep thirst. We look for it in all kinds of places, but like water, it lasts for a little while, and then we need some more. It doesn't satisfy And actually, it usually gets less satisfying the more that you have. 
right? If you chase success in things like sport or your career or getting good marks, when you achieve your goal, it's great for a little bit. And then you start to think, what's the next goal? Because what used to be the bar is now the floor, and it doesn't satisfy me anymore. And so I've got to aim for the next thing, and then the next thing. Sometimes we think possessions will satisfy us. Think of the, the little kid in Africa who's got very little, who's saved for a pair of shoes, and he finally is able to get it, and it makes him happy for a few months. It doesn't last forever, but it does for a while. Think of then the super rich guy who buys another house. Buying a house is the dream, right, isn't it? Is that the dream? And yet he feels almost nothing because he has more of what he is chasing and it doesn't satisfy. The more he has, the less satisfying it is. The things we chase never quench our thirst. We search for the perfect relationship and maybe you find that girl or guy, but then in a couple of years you realize not every day is a dream. In, in fact, lots of days are just really hard. You work hard to put food on, the, food on the table, only to wake up hungry the next day. You invest in that friendship, and then they move away. It's, it's an endless cycle. Whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But Jesus says, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. See, eternal life isn't just life without death, life that goes on. It's life that satisfies our deepest longings forever. Jesus quenches our thirst. See, another answer about you that you need to know, it's not just that you're a sinner, it's also that you were made for something. More accurately, actually, you were made for someone. It's why we instinctively search to find something to fill that longing, to quench that thirst. We were made for relationship with God. Whether we realize it or not, our hearts thirst for Him because that's how He made us, to thirst for Him, to thirst for true meaning, true hope, true relationship, to be folded into the arms of an infinite God whose power has no end, whose wisdom never fails, who loves us deeply even when He knows us completely. We long for the infinite and nothing in this finite world can touch that thirst. But thankfully, there is a water that's more real than water. Jesus quenches our thirst. He brings us into relationship eternally with the God who we're made for. And it is deeply satisfying. See, the water that Jesus offers, eternal life, it's, it's not just more existence. It's life beyond the grave that quenches our thirst. That's the answer we need to hear Jesus offers water that quenches our deepest longing and deals with our biggest need. Jesus offers water that quenches our deepest longing and deals with our biggest need. Eternal life. Don't you want it? Don't you want it? How do you get it? Well, you can't earn it. Jesus says it's a gift. It's a gift of God. Jesus says all you have to do, what's the question to ask? Ask me. Ask me for a drink. Admit that you need it. Admit that you're a sinner and ask Jesus to give you the gift of eternal life. 
trusting that through his death, he alone can give it to you. And he will. If you want to find out more, please come back next week. Come to our life series. Rod's going to talk about that in a moment. Because if you meet Jesus, you'll find answers. And it'll change your life. It'll give you life. It did for the Samaritan woman. She, she went from existing on her own as an outcast, deeply shamed. By the end of the story, we read that she visits every person in her town, telling them about Jesus, knowing that she's loved by the one who knows everything about her and still loves her, changes her life. And meeting Jesus has given her life, eternal life. The same is true for me. The same is true for Charles Studd. He gave up everything that was important to him <coughs> because he found answers to the things that matter so much more. <coughs> Here's what he said after he stopped playing cricket. <coughs> he said, What is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes face to face with eternity? I know that cricket would not last, honour would not last, nothing in this world would last, but it was worth living for the world to come. Want answers? Meet Jesus. It'll change your life. It'll give you life forever. Let's pray. God, thank you that you do not withhold the truth from us, the truth about ourselves and the truth about the answers that matter most. Thank you that you will also never withhold your love from us. God, it is a joy to be deeply known and yet deeply loved. Thank you so much that you care about us. Thank you so much that you show us the way to have our thirst quenched, that we might live life to the full with you forever because of your Son. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. friends, Jesus is the giver of life, and uh, we could rush on from this little moment here and uh, move on to the next thing, but I want to take a moment for us to just to pause and to reflect on, to think a little further about the things that we've heard in God's Word as Josh has opened it up to us uh, this evening. Now, what is, what is one question, perhaps? Like, hopefully there's been answers that you've received as we've reflected on that particular passage of the Bible tonight. Uh, what is one answer that you may have got from that talk? What is one question, perhaps, that you still have as a result of that talk? Now, I, I want to give you a moment to do that, uh, and I want to do that by getting you to um, open up the online Connect card that we have, or you might have a hard copy. If you want to use a hard copy, there's one there. Otherwise, on the front of your outlines here is the little QR code, and if you grab your phones and uh, point it at that, and it'll open up to our Connect card, we'd love you to fill in some of the details on there that you feel comfortable with filling in. But ultimately, we want you to go down to the notes part, and I want to give you just a moment just to reflect on the things that you've heard tonight in God's Word and think, are there, is there still a question?